afternoon. We are focusing on Lord's Day 18 of the Heidelberg Catechism and Scripture's teaching about the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord's Day 18. What do you confess when you say he ascended into heaven? That Christ, before the eyes of his disciples, was taken up from the earth into heaven, and that he is there for our benefit until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. Is Christ then not with us until the end of the world as he has promised us? Christ is true man and true God. With respect to his human nature, he is no longer on earth. But with respect to his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is never absent from us. But are the two natures in Christ not separated from each other if his human nature is not present wherever his divinity is? Not at all, for his divinity has no limits and is present everywhere. So it must follow that his divinity is indeed beyond the human nature which he has taken on, and nevertheless is within this human nature and remains personally united with it. How does Christ's ascension into heaven benefit us? First, he is our advocate in heaven before his Father. Second, we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he, our head, will also take us as members up to himself. Third, he sends us his spirit as a counter pledge by whose power we seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and not the things that are on earth. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we think about the saving work of our Lord, we might tend to focus solely on his death and resurrection. And those things are central, of course. But what about the the ascension of our Lord? How does it relate to Christ's saving work? Well, let's get practical for a moment. Let me ask you a few questions. How does the ascension of Christ relate to a difficult day at work? What does it have to say to a mother who's awake all night trying to put a crying baby to sleep? How does the ascension of Christ speak to depression or anxiety? How might it change your perspective on getting diagnosed with a terrible illness? How does it help a child who's just skinned his or her knee? Finally, how does the ascension of Christ speak to someone struggling against the same temptation every day? What we want to see this afternoon is that Christ's ascension speaks to those things emphatically. See, those things that I mentioned are all part and parcel of living in a world that's under the curse, living in in a broken world. And the good news is that Christ's ascension assures us that he has overcome this curse-filled, this broken world. So I proclaim to you God's word under the following theme. Christ's ascension assures us that he has overcome this curse-filled world. Look, Look, first of all, at Christ's triumph over the powers of sin and death. And second of all, the Christian's comfort in his triumph. So Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God. He lived in eternal glory. He was praised and acknowledged by innumerable angels to be the glorious Son of God. 
and he was infinitely worthy of all glory and all devotion. But also, as we are remembering at this time of year, this glorious Son of God became man. He stepped down into this broken, this curse-filled world. Think for a moment of someone who lives on top of a beautiful mountain. Down below is a city filled with smog and pollution. The person must go down to that valley for work. As that person descends down the mountain, descends further into the toxic air of the pollution. That's only a tiny picture of what the Son of God did for us. He left his glorious place behind in heaven, came to this earth as a servant. And he did not receive the glory due him on this earth. And he did not live a life of ease. Instead, he submerged himself into a life of suffering. Every day he bore the curse of sin. He endured constant temptation. He went through terrible pain and terrible grief. Isaiah 53 says he was a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. And that was the mission he received from the Father. You can see something of that in Matthew 16, which we read Jesus began to show his disciples he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. That was his ultimate mission. He received it from his father. And so, even through all the things he already suffered, he set his face toward Jerusalem. More suffering lay ahead. The beautiful thing is that Jesus Christ... He endured those things perfectly. He obeyed his father completely, even while enduring the curse, bearing its full weight. And he bore the curse fully for us in his death. He died on that cross, his work was finished. But because of that perfect work that he offered up to the Father in complete obedience, because of the suffering unto death, God the Father brought Christ into a new state of existence in his resurrection. Christ was brought into a new state of living in the resurrection. In the resurrection, Christ was transferred from a life full of suffering and pain and sorrow into never-ending life, forever freed from the curse. And now Jesus Christ can never die again. He can never suffer or experience pain again. He was a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, but now he's a man of joy, familiar with glory and rejoicing. This is part of what it means that Christ was glorified. He was transferred into this glorious, pain-free, curse-free existence. Now we see a, a foreshadowing of this in the Transfiguration. He had just told his disciples he was committed to going to Jerusalem. 
He was determined to obey his father, even though it meant suffering and death on the cross. Six days later, he went up on a high mountain with Peter, James, and John. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. A cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Well, what's going on in the transfiguration? Well, it could be that the transfiguration is displaying the glory of Christ's divine nature that largely remained hidden as he walked on the earth, almost as if his divine nature were somewhat breaking through. But also, likely, this transfiguration is pointing ahead to Christ's coming exaltation and glorification by the Father. The glorification that Jesus will receive fully in his resurrection and ascension. You see, the Lord Jesus had just stated he was determined to fulfill the mission given to him by the Father. To obediently bear our sin and our curse and our shame. And that determination, that willing obedience... It so greatly pleased God the Father. And so in the transfiguration of of Christ, it's as if the Father is ready to glorify His Son already right now. The Father delights so much in the obedience of His Son that He gives a brief foretaste of the glorification that's coming. Indeed, when Christ gave up his life unto death in perfect obedience, the Father glorified him forever. He had stepped into this curse-filled world, but in his ascension, he's once again lifted above it all. He rose above this world, this world filled with the pollution of sin. He entered the purity of heaven. He can never die again, never get sick again, never suffer again. He will live forever in eternal glory. We get a picture of that glory in Revelation chapter 1. The Apostle John was on the island of Patmos. Verse 10 says, He was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And someone with a voice like a trumpet spoke to him. It was the Lord Jesus. He was one like a son of man. He was clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Now this is apocalyptic literature, so many things described here are symbols. But notice how this picture of Christ in Revelation 1 is very similar to the picture of Christ at the transfiguration in Matthew 17. The picture is very similar, one of glory. Not only that, but think of the disciples. At the transfiguration, they fell on their faces in fear. Christ came to them, touched them, and said, fear not. It's the same thing in Revelation 1. John again fell down with his face towards the ground, lying at his feet as though dead. But Jesus came to him again, touched him and said as he did before, fear not. It's as if Revelation 1 is purposely trying to make us think again of the transfiguration. Why is that? 
Well, the foretaste of glory in his transfiguration was given in full in Christ's ascension. God the Father lifted him up, glorified him forever. And Christ says in Revelation 1, I am the first and the last of the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. He overcame by his perfect obedience. He triumphed over sin and death and the devil. And he now holds the key to death and Hades as he told John in Revelation 1. He is in control. That brings us to our next point. So Christ was exalted over this curse-filled world. That's, of course, great news that Christ was exalted above all these things, but the question still remains, how does that help us? How is this good news for you? After all, here we are left in this world. Here we are. And every day we're still faced with a world full of suffering. And maybe you experience physical pain every day. Maybe you experience mental suffering, depression, or anxiety. Maybe you feel like you're being suffocated. Barely make your way up for a breath of air. Maybe you face great sorrow. The death of a loved one. Relationship disappointment. Troubles in family life. Maybe you have great difficulties at work. Severe financial pressures. Maybe some other suffering I haven't mentioned, but you know it too well. And then there are attacks of Satan to fight against. And temptation is constant in this life. Christ has been lifted above the suffering of this world, but how does that help us if we ourselves are left in this curse-filled world? Well, the first way it helps us is this. As believers who fix our eyes on our Lord Jesus Christ, we can be sure that God's wrath has been removed from the suffering. Yes, the suffering of this world has not been removed. For those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the wrath of God has been taken out of the suffering. That's because Christ came, he bore our sins in his body on the tree. He bore the curse for us. His resurrection and ascension showed that he did it completely. He paid the penalty in full. It means our suffering has an end to it. It will come to an end. You see, Christ by his ascension was not lifted above the suffering of this world only for himself. He was also lifted above it for us who believe. He is our head. And we as believers are part of his body. His body is still on earth. Question and answer 49 says, how does Christ's ascension into heaven benefit us? The second thing is this, we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he, our head, will also take us, his members, up to himself. 
Christ one day will lift us up above this broken world. He will lift us out of it. It's an end to the suffering you face. We will follow our Savior where He's going. We also get a small picture of that too in Matthew 17. When Christ was transfigured on the mountain, both Moses and Elijah appeared with him and were talking with him. These were Old Testament believers. They, sh- they faced their share of trouble in life. Elijah, of course, was taken up to heaven in a whirlwind in a fashion similar to Christ himself. And after his life of trouble, he was lifted above the suffering, much like Christ. But then there was Moses. He did not bodily ascend into heaven. In fact, Scripture emphatically states that Moses died. And God himself buried his body in a valley in the land of Moab. Upon his death, his soul was lifted up above the suffering of this world and received into glory. Think about all the hardship and sorrow Moses faced in life. Stress of shepherding Israel. Forty years in the wilderness. Disappointment he faced. They're trying to enter the promised land. Near the end of it, Moses stumbled in sin. He was not allowed to enter the land of Canaan. Think of the disappointment. Soon after, he died and was buried. And upon his death, all of that changed in a blink of an eye. God did not bar Moses from entering into heaven. Christ had saved him too. His soul was taken to be in God's presence. Moses immediately began praising God in full joy. Suffering was transformed in a blink of an eye. And you can know, beloved, Christ's saving work will do the same for you who believe. Your hope in Christ, your salvation in Him. See, those who do not put their hope in the ascended Lord Jesus are left without a Savior. Those who do not believe have no hope that the suffering of this world will get any better. In fact, they can only count on it getting worse. Without Christ, the suffering of this world is only the beginning of an eternity of suffering for those who do not believe. Beloved, see your Savior. Turn from sin. Look to the cross. Look to Christ's resurrection and His ascension. Put your faith in Him. Can know there's an end to the suffering of this life in Christ Jesus. That is indeed great news to hear, and we can take comfort in that. And yet, we know we know there's an end. Living in this broken world is still not easy. However, there's more good news to Christ's ascension. Question answer 49 says, We have our advocate in heaven before his father. Christ ascended to stand in our place to represent us before God the Father. What's the beauty of that? 
Well, the beauty is that Christ, our mediator, knows what it's like to live in this broken world. It's always comforting when you have someone who's gone through similar pain that you have. You can identify with your suffering and comfort you in it. That's what we have in Christ. Remember Isaiah 53. He was a man familiar with suffering. He's not forgotten. He remembers the constant temptation. He felt the sorrow over covenant children who rejected God. He noticed what it's like to suffer deep loneliness. He felt the deep cut of being betrayed by someone close. He's grieved over the death of a loved one. Yes, he may be in glory. But he's not indifferent to the suffering you you face in the here and now. You know, it can certainly be hard to persevere in the faith during times of suffering. It's in those times that our faith is really tested. I don't know about your heart and the strength of your faith. Perhaps you have times when you feel like your faith might fail. Remember, you have an advocate in heaven who has gone through suffering. Seek his help. He will give you what you need to endure. Think of the Apostle Peter. Near the end of Jesus' ministry, he was about to face a strong attack from Satan. And Christ said to him, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to have you to sift you like wheat. And indeed, Peter would experience a great fall. But what did Jesus also say to Peter? I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. That your faith may not fail. Christ's intercession on behalf of Peter sustained his faith. If that's what the Lord Jesus did for Peter on earth, how much more will he not do that for his followers now that he is our mediator in heaven? Pray to God through our only mediator and advocate, Jesus Christ. Pray to God through him. He'll give you what you need so that your faith does not fail in this life of suffering. One way Christ helps us is by the comforting work of the Spirit. John 14, in John 14, Jesus told his disciples that he was going away, but he promised them, I'll ask the Father, he'll give you another helper to be with you forever. It refers to the Holy Spirit. He's our helper, advocate, counselor, comforter. The third person of the triune God. He helps us through all the troubles of this life. Christ himself dwells within us by the Spirit. He's not left us alone. Answer 49 says, Christ's ascension benefits also because he sends us his Spirit as a counterpledge by whose power we seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and not the things that are on earth. And this is a big way that the Holy Spirit is our comforter and helper. He's a counterpledge. He's the the down payment assuring us that eternal life is coming. 2 Corinthians 5 says the Spirit is given to us as a guarantee of the eternal life that is coming. 
first fruits of eternal life, foretaste of heaven. His assurance that this curse-filled world full of sin and demons and suffering will not overcome us. And so we can know that he who raised Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with, will bring us into his presence. So in this life of suffering, we do not lose heart. Our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. We are being transformed by the Holy Spirit into one degree of glory into another. Transformed into the glorious image of Christ. As we learn to put sin to death. As we fix our eyes on Christ. The Spirit sent to us by Christ himself helps us to fix our eyes on what is unseen. That also may be why God brings us pain and suffering in this life. So often we're fixated on what we can see in the here and now. God often reminds us of the brokenness of this world so that we would seek the things that are above. So that we would direct our eyes to heaven. And we would long for the new heavens and the new earth. For our eternal home, the home of righteousness. Because of our ascended Lord who gave us a spirit, we can look forward with certainty. So we're always of good courage. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed by the trials we face, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted by the enemies of the gospel, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. And in this life of sorrow, we would rather be away from the body and at home with our ascended Lord. As we fix our eyes on what is unseen and seek the things that are above, we make it our aim to please Him. To live for Him. He is our Lord. He's our Savior. He defeated the powers of sin and death for us. Amen. Let us now respond to the preaching of God's Word by singing together hymn 41, stanzas 1, 2, and 3.